as believers who know the hope of Jesus, as believers who have been given the great commission to tell the lost world of our hope in Jesus, what do you do in a world that has all the answers? They've got it all figured out. What do you do in a world that has all the answers, but they are the wrong answers? What do you do in a world that needs hope, that is suffering outside of true hope? What do you do in a world that needs hope, but that won't listen to the message of hope? What do you do in a, in a world that has all the stuff, all of the stuff? Look at the things we have today, and yet that world is drowning in their stuff. Very simply, what do you do in a lost world that does not know and honestly does not care that they are lost? Friends, we are living in those days. We are living in a hard time, hard days for the proclaiming church of Jesus Christ. We have this job, we have this task to tell the lost world of Jesus. Well, the question is, how do we reach a lost world? Well, today in our study in Acts, we're going to see that really a lot of years have gone by, but really nothing has changed. And the same struggles that we are seeing today, that we are experiencing today, the early church experienced as well. And so we're going to take our cues from them. We're going to find it in the Word of God. Our message today is entitled, Some Things Never Change. Some Things Never Change. We're in Acts chapter 17, today verses 16 through 21. Acts chapter 17, today verses 16 through 21, some things never change. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 16, God's Word says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Arachabitus, saying, what, May we know what this new teaching is you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great Father, we come, we're thankful for you, we praise you this morning, we seek you this morning. Lord, I pray as your church that you would bless us, that you would direct us, that you would prepare us for the days that are ahead, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would be useful in your service. Lord, I pray for these that have gathered this morning. I rejoice that they're here. Lord, I pray now that you have, again, a blessing in their teaching, a blessing in their encouragement, a blessing as we've gathered to exalt you together. Lord, I pray most of all that you are blessed. 
Lord, that you are praised, that your name is lifted up. Lord, I, I pray if there's one here today that does not know you, I pray that in the hearing of the good news of a risen Savior, that today's their day of their salvation. Lord, we give you this day. We give you this event. We pray that you're honored and you're known through it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Remember last week in our study, uh, we see this pattern and we see the, the, the most recent events that Paul has preached the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's forgiveness of sin, that there's salvation in Jesus Christ, and he has preached that in Thessalonica. Well, uh, remember the count, he has run out of Thessalonica, and he leaves and he goes to the town of Berea. Remember, Berea was an out-of-the-way town. It was a substantial town, but it really wasn't on the trade route. And he goes to Berea, and there he also preaches the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the hope that we have in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, also there in Berea, the same thing happens. He is again run out of town. Well, uh, in our verses last week, he makes his way to Athens. Now, once he is in Athens, he is waiting for the rest of his party. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas to catch up with him there. And that brings us to the point, the, the context of our verses today. And so let's go very quickly back to our verses this morning, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now, let's begin with the city Athens. Uh, the city of Athens at this point was not the city that it had once been in its heyday. Uh, several hundred years earlier, uh, the great philosophers Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Epicurus, all the great philosophers, they were there. That was in its heyday. Uh, at that point, hundreds of years earlier, it was the most influential city in the Roman Empire. Well, now things have changed. That has moved on. That city is now the city of Corinth. However, Athens is still a great city. It is the center, uh, the intellectual center of the Roman world. It was still a, a tourist city. Many people came there. It was still a city that was the center for the arts and for poetry and for religion and for politics. It was the seat of their university system. Uh, the city was still filled with temples, uh, many temples and ornate buildings. It, it was still filled with statues. At one count, uh, a little bit before this time, they counted over 30,000 public statues around the city. And so the city is filled with architecture and with buildings and with temples. And then 30,000 statues are in the city. That is the city. Look at verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Now this city, the people in it, they love to hear and they love to talk and they love to think and to reason. They love to debate the meaning of life. 
the best way to live, where the sun comes from, what happens when a person dies, the best system of government, the greatest virtue. It was a city of ideas. It was a city of philosophies and filled with philosophers. Well, Paul is there and he's waiting on the others to come. Now, it's an interesting thing. The Bible says he is there in Athens. It is this tourist city. It is an influential city. And he's waiting on the rest of his group to arrive. And the Bible says, in the meantime, he is provoked in his spirit, seeing the city full of idols. Now, the Greek word for provoked It is actually a harsh word. It is an aggressive word, and it means becoming angry. In fact, it it means increasingly so. And so he is becoming angry, and then he's getting angrier. It, It is actually the word, he is becoming infuriated, and increasingly so. And so here in this city, as he waits on his party, seeing the lostness of the city, seeing the idols in the city, he is becoming angry. Honestly, he becomes furious. Today, listen very carefully. If we are going to reach the lost world, the first thing we learn in our verses today, the first thing that we see is that we must be provoked. We must be Provoked. Now, let me explain that to you. What I mean by that is the lostness of the world, the darkness of the world around us as possessors of the good news of Jesus Christ ought to rile us up. The lostness of the world around us ought to not sit well with us as followers of Jesus Christ. As we survey the lost world around us, we ought to get provoked as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me make that very plain. Let me make that very real for us this morning. When we see God's word denied and ridiculed, when we see today false teachers and the nonsense that they're teaching grabbing hold today, when we see the evilness and corruption is exalted and accepted as good, when we see that pornography and filth are being normalized in our culture today, When we see that materialism and greed is pushed as the goal, we teach our kids that is the true meaning of success. When we see the breakup and the demise of the home today, and it's a normal thing and an expected thing, when we see the lostness of the world, as believers, we should get provoked. It should not sit well with us to survey the lost world around us. You want to know why most of us never lead anybody to Christ? You want to know why most of us have an apathetic view of the lost? You want to know why most people find everything to do but to participate in the life of the church? It is because the lost world around us stirs nothing in us. It is because a generation that is hurting and suffering and heading to hell doesn't bother us. Oh, that we would get provoked in our spirits at the lostness of the world around us. Let me tell you the biggest reason. 
And I believe this, the biggest reason I believe is that many of us don't look too different from the world that we exist in. And so it doesn't agitate us. It doesn't stir us up. We look a lot like it. And I'll tell you the biggest reason, truth be known, we kind of like the things of the world and we kind of like the systems of the world. And so, no, we're not agitated. We look a lot like the world we live in. It grieved Paul. It upset Paul. Listen to this. It infuriated Paul as he surveyed the lostness of the world around him. The first thing, if we're going to reach the lost world, we must be provoked. Verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. So what did Paul do? What did Paul do? We're going to see two important things here in the 17th verse. But I want you to be sure of this. I want you to understand this. He did not just get mad. Sometimes we're good at just getting mad. We're good at getting offended. He didn't just get upset as he was provoked walking through the city. He actually did something about it. Listen, the lostness of the world, if we have actually taken on the heart of Jesus, if we have actually taken on the mind of Christ, should cause us to do something. Do you understand that? If we've actually taken on the heart of our Savior Jesus and our heart's starting to look like his heart and it's growing like that, if we've actually taken on the mind of our Lord Jesus, the lostness of the world ought to cause us to do something about it. It should push us to respond. The Bible tells us in Luke, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Listen, if we are actually following him, if we are growing as his disciples, and increasingly so, we should also do the same. All right, so in this verse, the second thing, if we are to reach a lost world, we must be positioned. We must be positioned. Notice it says there, He was in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, the God-fearing Greeks. He is in the synagogue. It also says he is in the marketplace. It says every day with those who happened to be present, where everybody came together to do business, he was also in the marketplace. We find here he was with lost people. He was in the position to reach lost people. Today, to reach a lost world, we're going to have to open our eyes. We're going to have to see, and we're going to have to look for opportunities. We're going to have to seek out opportunities to tell folks of Jesus Christ. We're going to have to seek out ears that would listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be very sure today, if we are to have the mind and the heart of Jesus, and if we're to copy here the example of Paul, and if we today are to reach the lost world, we have to start positioning ourselves to reach the lost. Are we that deliberate? Do we have those eyes? Are we that mindful? Every person we come around, we have to start positioning ourselves to reach the lost. Let me tell you, that that could be your job. 
Guarantee you there's some lost folks at your job. That could be the store that you frequent. That could be your hairdresser. That could be the person whose hair you're dressing. That could be your family. I guarantee you there's lost folks in our family. That could be your fellow students, those folks that we travel through life with. He decided, he was deliberate to seek out opportunities. Listen, if we're gonna reach a lost world today, we have to be, we must be positioned to reach the lost. Now there's a second thing that we see that happens in this verse. Have to be positioned. The second thing is this, we must be prepared. We must be prepared. Now it says he was reasoning. Now he's in the in the synagogue there, he's in the marketplace, he's where the folks are at, where the people are, and he was reasoning with those people. Now, the Greek word, listen to this, it means speaking to a conclusion. It means getting a conclusion across, and here's the most literal translation, listen to this. To speak from one side of the matter to the other side. That's the most literal translation. He is reasoning with the people and he is speaking from one side of the matter all the way through the topic to the other side. It means he is thoroughly explaining the topic. He is thoroughly covering in depth from one side to the other the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the question. Are you prepared to lead someone to Christ? Are you ready, and these are individual evaluations, I can't make these for you, are you ready to defend the hope that is within you? 1 Peter 3.15 says that, that's, that's a command to us. Are you ready to defend the hope that is within you? Well, where do we start? If I was to tell someone about Jesus, what well, must be included in that? How do you lead someone to see their need for Jesus? If the world doesn't even know they need Jesus, how would you ever open their eyes that they would see they need Jesus? Are you prepared? Are you ready to explain it thoroughly from one side of the matter to the other side of the matter? Now, let me just tell you, here's where a good many say, I don't know enough. I'm not prepared. Here's where a good many say, well, what if, what if they were to ask me why evil exists? What if they're in the middle of some terrible situation and they want to know why did this happen? Why has God allowed this? Why does evil exist? What if they say, well, explain to me the account of creation. What if they ask me why did Jesus have to die? Wasn't there a different way? Isn't there another way? I'm not ready. I don't know enough. What if they ask me if all other religions are wrong? Won't that answer be hated? What if they ask me why I believe the Bible is true? Isn't it superstitious? What if they ask me that? I want you to be very sure this morning. This is not our excuse. It is not our way out. I don't know enough. It is not our way to defer to somebody else. I'll take you there. I'll point you there. I'll get you to somebody else. It's not our way out. Listen, 
It is our call in these days when the world needs Jesus Christ to be ready. That's what the Bible commands of believers. That's what the gospel requires of believers. That is the necessity for the mission that we are on as believers. We must be ready to lead folks to Jesus Christ. That is the call of a follower of Jesus Christ. I could ask you right now, how to cook a steak. I can come by later and you can let me test it. I can ask you how to mow your yard. How would you mow your yard? I can ask you now how to get on Facebook. And most of us could give an answer. Listen, and the most important thing that exists in this hour, we must be prepared as the church to talk from one side of the matter to the other side of the matter that folks would see our Savior Jesus Christ. We must be prepared. We must be provoked. We must be positioned. We must be prepared. Our right, verse 18. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? What's he going to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, there's two groups in particular who took notice of Paul's teaching. He's there. Now, there, there's a lot of teaching, a lot of philosophy there. A whole bunch of it has merged together. But there are two particular groups that have taken notice of the teaching of Paul, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, let me look very quickly at them. The Epicureans, they follow a belief, a teaching that, that does not really believe in God. They, if they do believe in God, they do not care about gods because they believe a God or gods exists in no way to, to have anything to do with human life. And so they live not worried about God. Either he doesn't exist or if he does, he's not worried about human life. And so these Epicureans, they do not worry in any way about God. They believe the goal of life is to experience more pleasure and less pain. That's the goal of life. If we're going to go through these years, and if we're going to have to do it on our own, you know what the goal of life would be to stay out of hard things, to not have to suffer things, and to have more fun, to have more pleasurable experiences. And so they, as a people, seek out fun. They seek out experiences. They are a very materialistic people. They are consumed with more stuff. If this thing made me happy, then two of those things, I would be more happy. If living on that side of town was good, then living on that side of town would be much more better. And they are consumed with the experiences and the things they think will short-circuit suffering and bring them pleasure. They have little or no moral code their basis for deciding things, if it makes you happy, do that thing. That's one half of the folks that were upset. The Stoics, they were another group, and they do believe in God. In fact, they're kind of super religious. They believe 
in pantheism. They believe there's many gods. In fact, they believe all things are part of God and all things radiate from God. And so they're religious. It's a false religion. And these folks, these Stoics, they're consumed with knowledge. You know what the key to happiness is going to be having more information. And if I knew this and I knew that, then I would be able to be happier in those situations. And they take pride in knowing. That's why this was an academic setting. This is why the center of the university system was there. They take pride in knowing. They are consumed then in their knowing with discipline. They're consumed with self-mastery, self-sufficiency. They're consumed in self-focus. It's all about self. The answer is going to be self-realized, and then it's going to be self-supplied. Let me ask you this. Look at those two things. Don't you see that's the day we're living in? Don't you see that's the day we're living in? On, on one hand, you got people, and they say, you know what, you can do better, and you should do better, and if you had more knowledge, and if you had more resources, and if you had a better environment, you could do better, and you know what, you need to look to the self-help, and you need to be self-focused, and at the exact same time, swirling around in the same culture, there are folks who say, you know what, it doesn't seem to matter, and I'm just going to please myself, and I'm going to worry about myself, and I'm going to buy these things, and I'm going to extend credit and get more of these things and I'm going to do whatever it is that makes me happy because nothing else matters. Aren't those things the hallmarks of our culture today? All these years and nothing has changed. And that brings us to the last point. If we are going to reach a lost world, we have to be proclaiming. We have to be proclaiming. Look at the end of that verse. Into that culture, into that situation, here's what Paul's doing. He went to the university and he enrolled and he tried to get to the top of their system. No, he didn't. He went somewhere and he opened up a wild debate and he had all of his facts and he had all of his stuff and he thought he would use human logic to defeat him. No, he didn't. Here's what it says. He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's what the verse says. In that setting, in that situation, he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. As simple as that and as plain as that, he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Get this, church. Listen to me this morning. Do you know what the world needs today? Do you know the answer that it is looking for today? Do you know where it will find hope? The only place, listen, it is only in one place. It is only in one message. There is only one truth that will stand. And listen to me, church, it is the message of a risen, resurrected Savior, our hope, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Hear me today. Listen to me, church. We preach Jesus. We hold up Jesus. That is the mission of the church. We exalt Jesus. He is the hope for those that are hurting. He is the Savior for sinners. And so that is the message of the church. There is a Savior, and he's died for sin, and he's resurrected from the grave, and your hope alone is in him. His name is Jesus. We, listen to me, not just me, we, you and I, 
We must proclaim Jesus in the marketplace, at your house, in the neighborhood. We must proclaim Jesus. So here's the question. Are we? Here's the question for this morning. Will we? And I think the real question is this. I think it boils down to this. Are we concerned enough? Are we provoked enough? And are we enough like Jesus to do something about the lostness in our world? It's got to be one of those two things. Are we concerned enough? Are we provoked enough? Does it rile us up enough? Are we just going to fit in? It's all right. We've got things to do. Are we enough like Jesus that we heard over the lostness of the world that we desire for them to find the peace that we have in Jesus? Are we enough like Jesus to do something about it? A couple weeks ago, we had our youth celebration Sunday, and I ended that message by encouraging those seniors, do it now, do it now. Listen to me. That's the message of all followers of Christ. Jesus is coming again very soon. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful for your command. I'm thankful, Lord, that you instruct us in what our purpose is in these days. Lord, I pray we would be faithful. Lord, I pray we'd be provoked. Crush our hearts if we're not. Lord, I pray that the lostness around us would would make us sick, that we would hurt, that we would grieve, that we'd be compassionate as you are. And Lord, help us to have enough integrity, enough Christ-likeness to not go back to the world, not to fit in, not to shrink back, but to actually preach Jesus and do something about it. Lord, what could you do with one here? went back to their job, went back to their store, went back to their school, Lord, and preached your name. Help us, Lord, help us. Lord, I pray as we we conclude this service that the point of all of it would be made known. If there's one here that doesn't know you, that they would understand there is hope today, there is peace today, there's joy today in the person of Jesus. Lord, help us in that. Remind us of that. Lord, speak to them, those that are searching today. Lord, we open our hands, we give this to you. We tell you we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.